So good morning. I'm Jason. If I haven't had the pleasure to meet you yet, welcome to Two Rivers Church. Would you uh, get out your phone or your Bible if you brought one? Uh, we are in a three-week series uh, in Romans chapter 12. We'll wrap that series up today before uh, we get there. And as you're opening up, I was going to start with a, a video clip of the movie Man of Steel that came out in 20. Uh, 13 Superman story, um, but um, I think this morning we felt like maybe it was a little too intense for some of the little people in the room. So let me let me paint the picture of the uh, clip I was going to show. Superman, right? Uh, he's in elementary school, and he begins to become keenly aware in this moment of kind of his superpowers. And he looks at his teacher, and he can see her skeleton and his his classmates, and then all the the sounds are becoming keenly aware. And he becomes really overwhelmed with the intensity of the moment. And he runs out of the classroom, uh, and he hides and locks the door into a janitor's closet. And the teacher follows him, and all the kids come out, and they end up calling his mom. And she comes, and he's totally overwhelmed, hiding in the closet, locked the door, and this is what he says to her, the world is too big, mom. Uh, The world is too big. And what the mom says is, uh, make the world smaller. Listen, just listen to my voice. Make the world smaller, simplify everything, drown out the noise, simplify everything. And she just says to her boy, listen to my voice voice. Um, This world is pretty big. The world is too big, perhaps. Maybe some of you are feeling some of those same emotional responses of that movie. Uh, I'm afraid. I'm confused. I'm unsure. I'm frustrated. There's so many voices. There's so many messages. There's so much division. There's so much anger. On and on and on and on and on. The world is too big. I'm overwhelmed, if I'm honest, and I'm struggling a little bit to drown out the noise. I wonder if we could simplify everything for these moments that we have here together this morning. I wonder if we could simplify everything down to the simple faith and trust to listen to the voice of Jesus this morning. As we open his word, I want to invite you to consider simple faith and trust to listen to the voice of God speaking to us in his living and active word today. Can we get there today? Can we uh, have that simplicity of faith and trust? And so I want to invite you to do that this morning. Listen to the simple voice of God through his living word today. I believe that whether uh, we're listening now in this space or you're watching at home on your TV or your computer screen, I believe these moments that we have together as we open God's word to us, I believe it is so significant. I don't believe that I can overstate that. I believe it is so significant for us because it gets us centered into God's truth. And Jesus said it this way, uh, we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. And so I invite us to be leaning into Romans 12 this morning. Um, today's uh, passage, 9 to 21, uh, I've entitled the 
message, mission-minded, which is our third core value. I'll spend a little time talking about that in just a minute. Uh, We are week three in a series. We've been talking about uh, the first eight verses of this chapter the last two weeks. Uh, And when we read the Bible, anytime, whether it's in a public place like this with a preacher like me speaking to you or whether you're sitting in your home and you're studying, uh, we've talked about this a lot over the years. uh, But if this is new for you, uh, I hope that this will be equipping for you. Uh, When we read the Bible, it's so important that we come to the Bible in the context it is written. So Paul, contextually, is writing a letter to the church in Rome. And so he is writing a letter to believers, contextually. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a professed follower of Christ, a Christian, this is a letter to you this morning. If you're here with us this morning, by the way, and you don't profess faith in Christ, uh, or you're leaning in and you're considering, we're so glad that you're here. And I pray that as we speak about the things of God this morning, that God would stir up faith and trust in you. But contextually, this is uh, a word this morning to believers, to Christians, Also, I want us to be reminded that what we're reading in verses 9 to 21 is directly connected to what Paul has just spoken about in verses 1 to 8. There's a statement that I've said this before in here as well, uh, that if we take a text of Scripture and we remove it from the context in which it is written, all we're left with is a con. You get it? So we want to learn to read contextually. So... uh, Church in Rome, 9 to 21, it's connected to verses 1 and 2 and 3 to 8. So uh, let, me, let, let me get us to that context, um, and specifically in uh, chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2, two weeks ago, Paul says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't be conformed to the messages and the ways of the world, but instead, as followers of Jesus, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Be transformed by the gospel of grace, verses 1 and 2. Last week, verses 3 to 8, Paul uh, teaches us that our understanding of what it looks like, what it means to actually have our minds transformed, which will transform our lives, is to be understood in the context of a Christian community, the local church. That Lone Ranger Christianity is a contradiction of terms. And so as we think about being transformed individually, we need to think about what that looks like for us to be transformed corporately in the local church, in the body of Christ. Uh, We talked about this last week. Uh, Each of you belong here. We want to be family-oriented, that you belong. You have value. Not only do you belong and have value, whether you're young, old, male, female, it doesn't matter. The church is the unity and the diversity of God. All nations, all ethnicity, all ages, men, women, everyone, everyone belongs, everyone has value, and God, by his grace, has gifted each of you with spiritual gifts, supernatural gifts of his grace, so that you and I can join together in this transformed community to build up and strengthen the life of this church and to reach more people in our community. That is where we pick up today in verses 9 to 21. Be transformed, 
be transformed in the context of community with your gifts. Now, verses 9 to 21, here's what it looks like to live this transformed community out together. Verses 9 to 21, this is how you are to live in community with each other. This is how you are to love your neighbor. This is how you are to care for one another in the church and in our communities. This is foundational stuff, verses 9 to 21 from the Apostle Paul, foundational stuff on authentic Christian living. Uh, we could say it this way, uh, Romans 12, 9 to 21 is God's playbook for how we are to live our lives with one, one another. Core value number three of our church, mission-minded. Um, nowhere else... And Paul's writings, Paul's letters, by the way, two-thirds of our New Testament are uh, Pauline epistles, letters to the church. Nowhere else in Paul's writings do we find a more uh, concise collection of ethical exhortations to believers. In verses 9 to 13 alone, five verses, uh, we'll read this in just a minute. Uh, those five verses, 13 exhortations on what it looks like, what God is calling us to do together in the ways that we live our lives. Each of them, by the way, we could spend a 13-week sermon series on each of these 13 exhortations. We're going to uh, spend 30 minutes uh, this morning talking about these things. Um, before we start into this, I do want to remind you of a couple things that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. As we engage uh, New Covenant, New Testament exhortations in the Scripture, uh, we, as New Covenant, uh, we're a New Covenant church. We're living in the New Covenant of God's grace. We're no longer living in the Old Covenant of the law. Jesus fulfilled every iota of the Old Covenant law, and he has uh, brought that to an end, and now we live in the New Covenant of his grace. And so when we come to New Covenant passages like this that have uh, kind of a rapid fire of exhortations, it's really important for us as believers to understand these exhortations not through the lens of legalism, not through the lens of law, not through the lens of law on law on law, but instead through the lens of freedom in Christ that has empowered us to live out our freedom in a discerning, transforming way. Grace, the message of grace, empowers our lives. Um, I believe that Paul understands this and is exhorting the church to understand this as well. So be reminded as we get into this that all of these exhortations comes through the lens of freedom, God's desire for you to be transformed and to be more and more conformed to his image, to be more Christ-like. Second thing I want to mention before we get there, in the scripture, there's a Greek word that is translated in our English translations as exhortation or encouragement. And so sometimes it feels like encouragement feels like encouragement and exhortation feels like exhortation. You guys with me in that? It's the same word. Exhortation and encouragement is all the same to the life of the new covenant believer in the context of the new covenant church. And one of the gifts uh, that Paul mentions, seven uh, gifts uh, that Jesus gives us in the church, it's verses six to eight. One of those seven is the spiritual gift of exhortation or the spiritual gift of encouragement. And I certainly believe after reading and studying in this passage this week, Paul 
One of his primary gifts is certainly encouragement and exhortation. This is for our good this morning. And so I pray that you receive it through that lens. Um, we'll just get started. I'm just going to start with talking about verse 9. Uh, Paul transitions as he moves into these exhortations and living life transformed in community. He simply says, love must be sincere. Love must be sincere, authentic. The whole section that we're going to read today uh, is connected to God's love. Love really is the subject. And all of these encouragements and all of these exhortations that we're going to spend time talking about, love is central. Love is core. Love is the playbook. Love is the way that God is leading us. And Paul says it must be sincere, uh, Simple question, what, what is love? If love must be sincere, what is love? Before we get going in our minds, and I think a lot of us are doers, like just tell me what to do and I'm gonna do it. And so before we talk about like doing love, let's talk about what is love. I mean, uh, the apostle John in 1 John chapter four just says it simply this way, God, God is love. Most of you uh, know 1 Corinthians 13. For those of you married in the room, perhaps 1 Corinthians 13 was read at your wedding ceremony. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. I don't believe that those are exhortations for us to do love better. I believe that 1 Corinthians 13 is an opportunity for us to understand that God is those things for us and to us. God is patient. God is kind. God keeps no record of wrong. And the more we understand and receive God's love for us, the more we can be a conduit in a sincere way to other people. Also in 1 John 4, the apostle John says this, uh, we, we love, we can only love because God first loved us. So what is love? Love is, love is God. And we love because God has loved us. Love must be sincere. The, the adjective uh, that's translated sincere uh, can also be translated without deception or hypocrisy. Uh, apparently, Paul feels, understands, knows as an apostle, as a pastor, as a shepherd, uh, that uh, there's a danger, there's a temptation in some cases that what looks like love, or perhaps what uh, sounds like love, I love you, I'm doing this in love, uh, that there's a reality of that in our lives, especially when we are not operating in the sincerity of God's love for us, to us, and through us, that love, I can say that I love, but if what I'm doing in my action doesn't sound like love, it doesn't look like love, it doesn't feel like love, uh, you're telling me that you love me, but I'm not experiencing love, perhaps it isn't love at all. And so Paul Paul is helping us understand that love must be sincere without deception or hypocrisy. And so I pray that as we read through all of these exhortations, encouragements, that we keep sincere love at the forefront of our minds. All right. 13 exhortations in the next five verses. You ready? Are you ready to receive? This is from the love of God to his church so that we can be transformed by his grace. Love must be sincere. I hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. 
be devoted to one another in brotherly love or brotherly affection. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. Verse 13, share with God's people who are in need. Practice, practice hospitality. 13 encouragements, 13 exhortations. Uh, My desire today is simply this, to stir up wonder and desire in each of you to walk in the way of Jesus through the lens of the freedom that we have in Christ. I'm not gonna have time to unpack all of these encouragements and exhortations, but my guess is that as I read those Uh, 13, and we'll read more later in verses 14 to 21. My guess is that as I read those verses, perhaps one or two of them maybe really stuck out to you or jumped off the page to you. And I would encourage you uh, after you get home later today to go back to this passage of scripture and read it a few times. And see if the Holy Spirit might not really illuminate a a particular encouragement and exhortation, one or two, that really is relevant for you uh, in this season of your life. Perhaps one or two things uh, that God really wants to uh, help equip you in, or perhaps one or two things that need some attention in your own transformation in your uh, life. Talk with the Lord about this. Talk with your spouse about this. Talk with your roommates about this, your friends about this, and ask the Lord uh, to help you see what he might be leading you to uh, understand at a more personal and a tangible level in your life. What I wanna do is just share the two that stood out to me. Uh, I'm just gonna share with you in, in my journey through this passage and my study, here are the two things that really kinda, I feel like the Lord illumined in my life. Um, uh, and I'm just gonna share those uh, with you. Uh, in the rest of our time. For me, it was uh, verse nine when Paul says, hate, hate what is evil, uh, cling to what is good. Um, Sometimes in our life, we have to hold, hold on tight to our faith because the lure of the world, perhaps the lure of the enemy's lies or the lure of our own selfishness, our own flesh, our own pride is pulling us away from the goodness of God and the way of God in Jesus. Uh, The Greek word for cling here, when it says cling to what is good, uh, the visual image of that Greek word is to be glued. Cling to what is good so that you are not pulled away because Paul understands the temptation of the lies of the enemy of the world and of our own flesh. Uh, We must be glued, if you will, to the goodness of God or we can be pulled away by the lure of the world. I wanna give you just a full confession about me as a person, as a brother in Christ uh, with you. I, I, I love people, I like people and I want them to like me. 
And uh, it's just something that I used to, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a recovering people pleaser. Now, I won't ask if there's any like hands to be raised if you're a, a people pleaser, but boy, that was a weight that I carried around for a long time in my life. Um, and there's just this thing in me that if I know that somebody is upset with me or I've done or said something, or maybe they just, maybe they just misunderstood something, or maybe we just disagree on something when I mean, that's that's just the reality of our lives, that uh, we can be uh, in unity with each other and have honor and respect of each other and agree to disagree. But it's just hard for me because I just want people to like me. And I, I look at this verse and I have to be reminded that it is uh, more important for me to honor God and to stand for the goodness of God in my life than to be liked. And I have to understand that what I'm standing for as a believer and as a follower in Christ, especially it feels like that in this day and age, what I'm clinging to what is good causes people to not like me or even to disrespect me or to hate me, which is what Jesus said to his disciples, that the world will hate you because of me. And so I'm finding fresh encouragement um, this morning in this passage uh, to stand for the goodness of God. Um, calling, calling what is evil, evil, is what Paul is saying. Uh, it, is, it is necessary in our lives as we're transformed in community. Uh, the uh, ancient prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 5.20 says, woe to those. Another way of understanding woe to those is uh, what sorrow for those who get blinded, who get blinded by um, whatever they're blinded by, the lies of the enemy, the ways of the world, whatever it may be, woe to those or what sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil and that dark is light and that light is dark. We look in the gospels and we watch the life and the ministry of Jesus himself and we see Jesus over and over again, calling out the Pharisees. He called them hypocrites because they were. I'm reminded of the story in Mark chapter eight. Um, he told Peter, one of the 12 disciples, who he also told Peter, the church, the ch you are a rock and I'm gonna build the church on this rock. And he told Peter that he, he's, Peter has, he was in this place and he was way more concerned about the things of man than he was about the things of God. And in this moment in Mark 8, Jesus turns to Peter and says, uh, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You do not have the things of God in your mind and heart. You have the things of man in your mind and heart. Uh, hate, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. The second Thing that jumped out for me in my life this week, Romans 12, 12. Uh, be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. Church, be joyful in hope. Another translation, maybe your translation says rejoice in hope. Uh, biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It's not an uncertainty of expectations. Biblical hope is confident trust. I was reading a, a commentator uh, this week on this idea of being joyful in hope. And the commentator said this, be confident in reaching out 
for the eschatological future that we have as believers. Eschatological, end times, eschaton, the end times, eschatological or eschatology is a study of the end times. What's gonna happen when Jesus returns in his second advent? And this commentator is like, be confident in reaching out for that and looking forward to that. I think another way of thinking about that is we know the end of the story, church. We know the end of the story. Be confident in believing and reaching out for the end of the story. What is the end of the story? It's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth. There's gonna be no more crying and no more tears, no more suffering. We're talking about reaching out and believing in the promises of the last two chapters of our Bible, which is Revelation 21 and 22. This is why Paul tells the church be joyful in hope. He wrote a letter to the church in the ancient city of Thessalonica. And he was reminding those believers there and they were suffering and they were grieving. And he says, we grieve. We still grieve, but we don't grieve. We don't grieve like those who have no hope. We grieve. We walk through affliction. We walk through suffering, but we do it with hope. And Paul is connecting joy and hope together for us in this exhortation to us. Our hope is a living hope. It's not a wishful thinking hope. It's a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. Christ is able because he is alive. And Christ has enabled us to have joy and hope in affliction because Christ, the living God who is alive, has put his Holy Spirit in you and me. Paul tells us that in Romans 8, that you and I, believers, have the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, living inside of you, church. Be joyful in hope. You know the end of the story. Death has come to life. Darkness has come to light. Bondage has now become freedom. The reality of this is true. And the living hope of that brings joy. Cling, cling to what is good. We still have difficulty, certainly. We still walk through hard things, certainly. We still walk through affliction and we suffer. But the believer in Jesus is to be steadfast in times of trouble. I'm seeing this lived out right now before my very eyes in a dear friend who was a part of our church family in her college years. And this week her father died of cancer and I'm watching her family grieve with a steadfast hope and joy in Jesus. It is inspiring. It, it, it encourages my faith. Um, be joyful in hope, which I think is directly connected to his next exhortation. Be patient in affliction. Um, patience is a fruit of the spirit. And I've had to learn this the hard way. You don't get patience with your grit. Uh, you don't get patience you don't become more patient by trying harder to be a more patient person. Patience is a fruit of the spirit. Patience is a fruit that comes out in our life as we abide in the vine of Jesus. 
And he says, be patient in what? Be patient in your afflictions. Not if, not if you have afflictions, but when you have afflictions. Uh, afflictions for those of us who are following Jesus um, should not be surprising to us. Uh, the world is uh, broken. Jesus himself, he told the disciples this, the Last Supper. The Last Supper discourse is John 13 to 16 in the Gospel of John. He's spending his last moments, his last words with the disciples. And one of the very last things he told the disciples, John 16, 33, he said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I think that's what Paul's saying to us as well. Be patient in affliction means to take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. Have a faith fortitude and persevere. Be patient in your affliction. Certainly, our life, the life and breath that God has given us, it is a gift. And life is beautiful. It's a gift of the goodness of God. Life is a gift. Life is beautiful. Life is also broken. Life is also hard. Uh, life is a bit, I think, if you want to have this visual with me, think about an obstacle course. Sometimes we're feeling pretty good in the obstacle course and we're creating movement in our lives. And then all of a sudden there's this obstacle that comes in the way of our lives. And it has, it is creating some real difficulty for us. And oftentimes on obstacle courses, what we need to get over obstacles is we need people to help us. There are difficult sections of our lives and we must, we must accept life on life's terms and we shouldn't be surprised by affliction. Instead, trust Jesus and cling to Jesus all along the way. That's Paul's exhortation. Be patient in your affliction. Again, how can we be patient? We know how the story ends. We know the end of the story. Be faithful in prayer. Prayer puts our eyes on Jesus. Prayer uh, allows us to not be navel-gazing at our circumstances and being so anxious and worried about our circumstances. Prayer lifts our eyes off of our circumstances to Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Prayer connects us with the Holy Spirit, who is our helper and our comforter. Prayer aligns us with God's goodness. Prayer, prayer is where we cling to the goodness and the hope and the joy and the shalom, the peace of God. Prayer helps us lean not on our own understanding. In the NIV, it says, be faithful in prayer. The New Living Translation, keep on praying, people of God. ESV, be constant in prayer. NASB, be devoted in prayer. You know, I, I, I have to remind myself of this. And so I'm, as, as I'm reminding of myself of this, I want to remind you of this as well. Uh, I, we, should not be surprised when life is collapsing all around us if we insist on living life alone, disconnected from God, disconnected from his church. 
We shouldn't be surprised when life is collapsing if we insist on living life alone. Satan's strategy is to keep you out of touch with God and out of touch with each other, isolated. I would say it this way, isolation is the devil's playground. We need to be connected to God, to his word, to his promises. We need to be connected to his church. Fight for that connection with God and with each other. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Let love be sincere. I'm joining Paul. I am encouraging you. I am exhorting you this morning through the lens of your freedom to walk in these ways. Let's finish Uh, This passage, I won't have time to really unpack any of these verses, but again, I really encourage you to spend time in these verses uh, later. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. That's not easy. Mercy. Can we just say that out loud? Bless those who persecute you. Do you know what I need more of if I'm gonna walk in that? I need way more of Jesus. And I need way more encouragement and prayer and support from you. If I'm gonna walk that one out in my life, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. We're living life together in this church family. And there are gonna be days and seasons where we are rejoicing and that your victory is our victory. And there are days when we are gonna walk through really hard things. And we will be grieving. And your grief is my grief. And so we rejoice with those who rejoice. And we mourn with those who mourn. And all along the way, we get to do this together as a church family. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. That's probably a word for today. That's probably a good encouragement for today. Could, could we just, could we agree with that maybe? Like live in harmony with one, live in harmony with people who don't, Believe what you believe and who, I mean, even in the church, man, there's, a, there's so much going on right now. I mean, even people of, that are following God, there's so much disunity and disharmony. And Paul, like, let's simplify this thing down. Let's make this real simple. Let's drown out the noise. Listen to the voice of Jesus in his scripture. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And if, if, and if it is possible, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. God's wrath is God's divine, holy justice. Leave room for God's holy justice, for his wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, instead of taking revenge for yourself, instead of that, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with love. Love is the subject of all of these exhortation. Um, a boat on a lake 
uh, creates a wake behind it for you to tube behind it, for you to ski behind it, for you to wakeboard behind it. A boat creates a wake for you to follow behind. Jesus, his word is creating a wake. The exhortations and the encouragement this morning from his living word creating a wake for us to follow behind it, to be transformed by it. Sincere love, um, I believe, looks like something. It doesn't just sound like something. It actually looks like something. Uh, Love is a verb. Let me quote the great theologian DC Talk in that one. Love is a verb. Thank you for that one laugh out there. I heard that laugh. Um, It is love in action. If you've been around Two Rivers for any amount of time, you've heard me kind of rephrase our three core values with um, three statements that I want to close with um, this morning. Uh, Our first core value is a gospel-centered community and freed people, free people. Jesus' whole mission is to liberate captives. And then he joins us in his work to what? To liberate captives. And a gospel-centered community, love in action, freed people, free people. We wanna be a core value too. We wanna be a family-oriented place. We just wanna talk about it. We wanna be about it. We wanna walk this out together in community with one another. We understand and believe that we can't live life alone. Isolation, again, is the devil's playground. Loved people, loved people. In a family-oriented place, loved people, loved people. Will we have issues with one another? Does any family have issues with one another? Yes, they do. Uh, This is a group of imperfect people. Uh, I'm at the front of the line of that imperfect people list. Learning, growing, being transformed in the way of Jesus. Will we need to confess things to one another when we hurt one another? Yes. Will we need to forgive one another? Yes. All of those things are true in a family-oriented place and love people, love people, and we serve people and we give to one another when we are in need. Lastly, mission-minded, blessed people, blessed people. This goes all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant In Genesis 12, God blessed Abraham to bless people. And that is the same today for me and you. You are blessed to be a blessing. Jesus says to us, listen to my voice. Drown out the noise. I know the world's so big. Listen to my voice. Follow me. Trust me. My word is alive. It has what you need. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed as we live in community with each other and we're serving and giving and we're operating in our giftings so that this church can be strengthened and empowered to go be a light uh, on a hill in this city. And also let's live missionally in the way of Jesus together. These are the words. These are the encouragements. These are the exhortations in the words of Paul and the Holy Spirit to us. This morning, would you pray with me? Lord, I confess that some of these encouragements through the lens of freedom aren't easy. But I have to believe that because it's your word, it is for our good and our best. And I pray that we would receive these exhortations and encouragement through the lens of your love and grace for us. And so I pray for transformation. I pray for transformation as we live in community 
And I pray for a renewed sense of mission and blessing to bless and serve and care for each other and this community. Love in action looks like something. And so I pray that next week as we scatter as a church family all over this community, that you would use uh, those uh, those uh, words of encouragement, those prayers, those tangible things that we're doing and serving, Lord, to, to care for and bless and serve and, and bring the name of Jesus to the forefront of people's minds and hearts. Um, would you bless us as we go next Sunday to serve all over this community? Lord, you are faithful. Your covenant to us gives us security to know that it's less about us clinging to you and more of us knowing that you are always clinging to us. Nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so we believe that in a fresh way and we wanna sing and be reminded in this uh, wonderful old great hymn, great is your faithfulness. Lord, you are faithful to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.